Now on the Business Radio X Network, Conscious Capitalism, elevating humanity through business in Southern Arizona. Your hosts, Sarah McLaren and Jeremy Neese. Southern Arizona does good business, and we want to talk about it. Welcome to the Conscious Capitalism uh, radio show and podcast, streaming live from the Tucson Business Radio X studio, uh, live and on demand, that is. So listen to us now, listen to us later, you know, partake as many times as you'd like. Uh, So Conscious Capitalism is an international movement promoting business as a force for good. They have uh, 40 plus chapters uh, in the United States with uh, a chapter in Arizona and lots of activity down here in Southern Arizona. So we're here because we want to bring people together, give people opportunities that are like-minded to do, to do business with, with one another. Uh, and so we are also letting the public know who those people are so that you can engage with them yourselves. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, Conscious capitalism. uh, We welcome organizations of all stripes. Today, we're going to focus on gaining some insights on how these principles come into play in the hospitality and sort of local attractions, if you will. So we want to introduce you to the voices that are going to be on the show. I'll start with myself. I'm Jeremy Neese. My day job is with Retirement Evolutions, where we provide long-range wealth planning services. My interest in this show, conscious capitalism, and other related concepts is to explore how we can effectively make long-standing improvements for the human family. And I'm Sarah McCrarren with McCrarren Compliance. Uh, We specialize in workplace safety, so uh, consulting and training services. We focus particularly on MSHA, which is mining, OSHA, particularly construction, and then fleet services, DOT. And our purpose is to create workplaces where we all watch out for each other. So our guest today, First, we have Jonathan Lutz. He is the executive director of the Tucson Audubon Society. Jonathan is experienced an environmental nonprofit director with a decade-long history advocating and educating on behalf of wildlife. He is skilled in advocacy, fundraising, financial management, marketing, media relations, and developing educational programs. Jonathan has served as the executive director for the Michigan Audubon Society and director of the Montana Audubon Center. He co-leads winter birding tours in Michigan's eastern Upper Peninsula, sharing the endangered Kirtland wobblers with visitors from around the world. He also guides residents on owl prowls along the Yellowstone River. Thank you for joining us, Jonathan. Thanks for having me, Sarah. We also have with us Todd Hanley. So Todd is the leader of one of Tucson's most iconic establishments. That is the family-owned and operated Hotel Congress. He is also in charge of the sister restaurant, Maynard's Market and Kitchen. He has been overseeing these businesses since the early 2000s when he relocated to the Midwest. Todd is passionate about the growth of downtown Tucson and is a champion of sustainable practices. The good things happening under his stewardship have not been unnoticed. He has received Copper Cactus Leadership of the Year honors, has received awards for green initiatives, and boasts standing as the only historic hotel in Arizona with TripAdvisor's Green Leaf Gold Level designation. Todd has been been very active in the service with community groups, including founding the Agave Heritage Festival, which is a community-wide celebration of the cultural, commercial, and culinary significance of the agave. Thank you so much, Todd. Wow, that was 
Delise, thank you. The marketing director. Does that sound like you? It sounds just like me. I forgot how good it sounded. I don't want to boastful. I know. I might just say I'm a little bit out of breath after, you know, talking about Bolivar. Sarah, well said. I mean, and I was was listening to Jonathan's. I was like, boy, this is interesting. Like, parallel lives almost on some levels, you know, both into sustainability, both into the environment, uh, one on the Autobahn riparian society. And then I happen to be into this whole world of agave. So it's an interesting kind of, kind of confluence of people here. Very cool. That's for sure. Well, Jonathan, how about you fire us up, please? We would love to hear your tale on uh, how you came to be part of the Tucson Audubon, what its history is, your story in general. Sure. So, so I'm a, I'm a new, um, I'm a new member of your community, and uh, you know I'll start by saying thank you for for having me here and uh, for creating such a great community. Um, my partner and I are are thrilled to be homeowners on the west side. We walk to Tumamak Hill. That's our uh, two or three times a week activity uh, awesome. after work on the weekends. And um, you know, for me, with an Audubon career, I've landed in a um, one of the top three or four destinations in the entire United States for people to come and enjoy the world of birds. That's amazing. Um, it is. It's, I, of all the reserves there are, top yeah, four, that's... Yeah. Can you can you believe a lot of people look at, you know, let's say a lot of outsiders, they look at our desert environment here and, um, you know, they think it's sterile. That there is, yeah, not much going on, but it's actually one of the most biodiverse places on the planet. And uh, when it comes to birds, um, people literally flock here. <laughs> I'll try to <laughs> nice, use, use that. Try not to use like too it. many of the puns, you know. Um, I'm just but starting to But it must be kind of fun wings. to get, you know, a, a, a new laugh every time you use kind of an old. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, no. It's, it's, it's really a... Uh, uh, bottomless glass of puns <laughs> in the bird world. I'm sure. Um, but, uh, you know, I was fortunate. So, so Jen, Jen got a career position here. I was living in Montana at the time and enjoying everything that that state has to offer. And, um, you know, and when she said, hey, I think we're going to settle down in, in the Tucson area, I started looking for uh, more Audubon work, which, as Sarah mentioned, I've been doing for a little more than a decade. And uh, my career here started with Tucson Audubon Society in Patagonia. So, uh, you know, I wasn't part of your Tucson community. I was part of the 900 resident strong community of Patagonia, <laughs> and I loved it. it. It suited me very well. And uh, Tucson Audubon has a uh, one and a half acre residential nature preserve there that receives 15,000 visitors a year. Um, and it is primarily because of one single species of bird called the violet-crowned hummingbird, which is rare to find anywhere else in the uh, in the United States. We go down to central Mexico, and there are, there are many of them, but in terms of a bird occurring in the U.S., this is one spot where you can see it all year round. Cool. And what brought you to birds in general? Well, How did that come to be? I, you know, I've been a, a lifelong nature lover, and uh, my parents really supported my interest in the outdoors and let me uh, have a row of aquariums up against the back of the house filled with various uh, critters for me to observe and draw and, you know, take notes on before releasing again. And uh, I'm, I'm primarily uh, interested in aquatic ecology and fish. Uh, that's really where my, my deep passion is, and all the Audubon people know this. So I'm not, I'm not <laughs> revealing a, a secret. Uh, There's room but, in your heart for all types of creatures. Exactly, exactly. And the birding world is is very welcoming. And um, yeah, I started my career in 
2008 with the Michigan Audubon Society, as Sarah mentioned, and uh, really wanted to be a nonprofit executive director, wanted to know all about the world of fundraising and marketing, uh, donor relations, financial management, all the the sort of non-glamorous side of the work that we do, which at Tucson Audubon Society is simply inspiring people to enjoy and protect birds. And uh, it's it's been quite a journey and um, honored to be leading a, a 70-year-old organization. We turned 70 this year. Oh, man, that's and, impressive. And uh, yeah, 3,000 members and visitors from all over the globe. So it's, it's a true pleasure. That's and, great. And just to interject, I have to say that I think of Tucson, I think of weather, I think of the Sonoran Desert, I think of the biodiversity, but it's often kind of left unknown the realities of how amazing literally the riparian world is here. I mean, and it's totally. it's an absolute gem. And, and I say that because it's driving economic tourism and that's that element of conscious capitalism that's so important and and i'm in the business of tourism so it speaks near and dear to my heart but i also am a big proponent of sustainability the city of gastronomy has been such a big part of our growth as a as a community and i just i'm thinking to myself i have a th- something to do with making sure visit tucson is even more aware of this because i sometimes feel we don't shout that out enough i don't hear about no, it no no that's great truly i mean <laughs> it's uh i'd, I'd throw in the uh, the dark sky status that Tucson has as well. I mean, people do come here for these reasons. In Arizona alone, um, recreational birding is is nearly a $2 million a year economic impact yeah, for the amazing. state. Wow. Um, and, uh, you know, we're having, you know, millions of residents are engaged in the activity of, of watching birds, um, which means they are flocking to these riparian areas, the San Pedro River, um, you know, the last free flowing river in the desert southwest. That is part of our greater community here down in Cochise County. Of course, we have the Santa Cruz that flows right through town, and I'm thrilled with all the work that's yeah. you know happening there. I've I've waded through the effluent sections. I've even um, since I, I already outed myself as a fish nerd, I've even tried to fly fish for the carp that live in the effluent sure. stream. It Any is very success? very very difficult, <laughs> and, and I won't I won't bore everybody with Take the technical the challenge. details of that. But we have you know we have soft shelled turtles, we have great blue herons, we have a lot of aquatic insects using that space and. You know, if you look at some of my pictures just right that I've taken while on those trips, you know, you could be anywhere in a pristine river situation in the United and, States. And speaking to that as well as that greenway element of the Santa Cruz yeah. River and the fact that hopefully, I mean, I'm, I don't know the reality of it, but sooner than maybe later, they're going to actually start to flow water through the Santa Cruz River as a part of the water conservation element of our southern Arizona. Yeah, look that up. I mean, I can't speak to it well, but it's just exciting to be another aspect of how we are as a community working to not just draw people in and create a sustainable community, but do something that's good for everybody. Yeah. Yep. It's really cool stuff. And, and, and I love the word affluence because it's better than the other w- words that they're using out yeah. there. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, I've, I've had a little bit of inside, uh, you know, privy to a little inside information on that project, and the intentions are all very strong, you know, making sure that we're not in- introducing invasive plant species to those riparian zones where we want to literally turn the water on for the river. Mm-hmm. And as I understand it, all the infrastructure exists, and it's, you know, it's it's a matter of making a few little tweaks and getting the right approvals and then making it happen. And I love the enthusiasm for that. I, I confessed earlier that I miss water and trees. <laughs> and being a West Sider, the thought of, you know, walking down to the river or riding my bike down there yeah. and seeing that flow of water and the additional life that it brings is 
really, really exciting. Yeah, I'm so. a West Sider too, and so I'm, and I didn't know, so yeah. I'm definitely looking it up and going to stay on top of it and do what I can, you know, to support it. But I'm going to say one more thing. You know, it's not just making sure Visit Tucson does a better job, but it's also I'm thinking about the Sun Corridor because these are very important mm. things for attracting business as well. Sure. A big part of of what will draw uh, a, a large corporation or or any size a, a company into an area is what is the lifestyle available to the people that are going to work there. And so I think we also need to make sure that, and I know, know that Visit Tucson works with the Sun Corridor, so it, you know, it's a natural trickle through, but we've got to make sure that it's also promoted as why business, uh, Tucson is, and Southern Arizona is a good place to do business. They're, they're a good point. totally different platforms, totally different business models, but they're accomplishing the same thing. They're trying to create a better place for people to visit, a better place for people to move, a better place for businesses to move, you know, just to make Tucson a better community. And you're, you're correct. I mean, there's many different organizations that should be supporting it. And that's just some of the challenges of Tucson is you know, just trying to make sure that we're coordinated as best we can. So, but that's exciting. I'm just, I'm like, man, I had no idea that I'd be sitting over here just talking riparian worlds. And then we talk yeah. about <laughs> the Santa Cruz River and, and literally effluent water coming in to kind of really re-energize that portion of a river that's been dry for boy, I don't even know how long, many decades. Time, yeah. Right, and, and it's, since we know, started, yeah, it's grand habitation. And, of and this, uh, Tumamac Hill is near. I live in the Mercado district, so sure. oh, yeah. my wife is on Tumamac Hill pretty consistently. I, I, I mean, this, uh, I, I love the hill. I know Ben Wilder, the executive director of Tumamac Hill. He's, yeah. He's unbelievable. We all know Janos Wilder, the the chef. So. Tucson is just, I mean, I smile literally, and, and I'm on this podcast smiling right now that how unbelievably well connected we are. It's pretty great. That's it's a cool amazing. thing about Tucson. It's, it's amazing. over a million, but there's yeah. a, a strong connection between yeah, absolutely. all of us. Well, uh, Jonathan shared that he's leading an organization that's 70 years old. I guess the only person that can uh, <laughs> top it. trump that would be yourself. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about your organization sure. and how yeah. you found yourself in the chair you sit. Uh, the, the, the reason I'm here is probably much longer than our podcast would allow, but <laughs> suffice it to say, I, I am a Midwesterner. I went to Western Michigan University, so I'm a I'm an absolute a lover of Michigan, people in Michigan, and just stumbled into Tempe, Arizona through the YMCA in 2002. Met my now wife, who her family owns Hotel Congress, and took a leap of faith in 2003 to come down and operate the business on behalf of my mother and father-in-law. And uh, the rest is truly history 15 years ago. So I am the general manager of Hotel Congress and Maynard's Market and Kitchen. Hotel Congress is now officially 100 years old. We turned Ooh, 100 in yeah, awesome. November of 2018, and we're in a centennial year celebrating a lot of different aspects of why we are a unique and iconic business to that bio introduction that Delise wrote for me. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, go. I could go on and on about Hotel Congress in terms of the unique uniqueness, the authenticity, what we do as a business. I think a lot of Tucsonans know and a lot of people internationally know, very proud of what we've done in the last 10 years with our approach to sustainability, water conservation, recycling, reducing, composting. I mean, we're just doing a lot as much as we possibly can. We're a member of the Emerging 2030 District that a lot of people are familiar with. Maynard's Market and Kitchen is our little 
sister business across the street, the real fancy, wonderful dining experience, Maynard's Kitchen, and then the fun, fast, casual Maynard's Market. The root of our business model is really simple, community. We want to be a part of a community where we can thrive, we can be successful, but we offer something that what I have been kind of been coined over the last decade that sense of place you come downtown you come to the hotel congress i best describe hotel congress as the living room of tucson like that's where you go to that's meet solid. anybody and everybody and i'm, I'm just so completely true. blessed to work <laughs> for the hotel congress and Maynard's marketing kitchen it is a family business the most unbelievably functional dysfunctional family business you'll ever <laughs> meet and, and it's a blast i mean it really is and it's afforded me a platform to try and make an impact, and I'm hoping to continue to do so in my role as the co-founder of Agave Heritage Festival. I give the co-founder accolades to, obviously, the Hotel Congress that gave me the platform to do it. And ultimately, my goal is to just make Tucson and Southern Arizona a place that people come to not just for tourism reasons, not just for business reasons, but for anything and everything, because there's such a rich culture and history here that we should be shouting it out every second we can. Completely agree. We well, you know as a long, well, actually it's a native Tucsonan, ooh. and then a uh, long time West Sider. I think I've been on the West Side, you know, for almost 20 years but you know i've definitely watched you know the progression and the evolution of the hotel congress you know from being the place i wanted to go when i first turned 21 <laughs> yeah and on from there but what you know hearing you know what you're seeing and now matching that up with my you know outside view sure i love that the success has come from embracing you know, not embracing, taking responsibility for being a central point with it for building community. And that, that, that taking on that responsibility, saying that what we really want to do is, is, you know, be that living room, uh, has what has led to your success. Sure. It's not uh, a byproduct. It's not an afterthought. It's not a marketing ploy. It was, you know, an authentic intention that has absolutely driven your success. Yeah, and, and Richard and Shana, I mean, kudos to them. I mean, that was the core. They took a historic building and injected some infrastructure, some professionalism, some accountability. This is, mind you, 35 years ago. And out of that came art, culture, entertainment, hip, cool, great food, great drink. So the platform of the Hotel Congress is best embodied by really just the people that work there. And they all, I mean, here's a pun or it may be a metaphor. They're all drinking the Kool-Aid. I mean, it really yeah, are. And, and, and it's, the agave Kool-Aid. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, and, and it's, it's exciting to see Tucson. I don't really want to say downtown. I'll just say Tucson thrive because if you say downtown, that's that, that's almost kind of a given. But now Tucson's starting to thrive. People are coming here not just for downtown, not just for the resorts, not just for golfing, not just for bird watching, not just for dark sky, but everything. Great food, great drink, history, culture. It's it's a, an exciting time. Tucson is absolutely on the map, and we just have to keep pushing forward. I mean, obviously, there's lots of work to be done education, economic security, food food security, all those elements that come with a great community. But we're, we're chipping away. Yeah. And I think it's important to note that not just, you know, culture and food and, you know, all of those, you know, art, but it's but it's Tucson-esque. I mean, it is all of those things are very uniquely Tucson. You could not find the same um, things nope. anywhere else. 
So we're, we're, you know, we're becoming, you know, urban and a little more sophisticated, I suppose, but not yeah. really because it's very Tucson. Tucson sophisticated. It's okay to say. Yeah. For me, I think it's fine. I, I agree. I, I, we don't espouse to be anything but who we are. And it took me about eight years to figure that out. And this pace that it takes place took me... <laughs> Oh, I'm still trying to figure it out. Um, <laughs> but I mean, it's it's unique and it's fun and it's real. I mean, it's I think real is what I like most about it. And to just you know, when you were sitting here and you start to hear that everybody knows players in the in the, what you call stakeholders. You know, that's an important word. There's so many stakeholders that all really are kind of pushing or pulling in the same direction. So you're, you're spot on, Sarah. You know, the other thing I love that you said is, you know, drinking the Kool-Aid. It just kind of made the first connection for me. And I don't know if anyone else has ever thought of this before, but that actually is culture. So if you, you know, so that is the, a nice sort of, you know, lingo way of saying, you know, if you're drinking the Kool-Aid, then we really do have a strong culture that yeah. we've established. Yeah. That's yeah. a kitschy way of just saying we're all bought in. We're all extremely excited. And I mean, there's just, I mean, opportunities abound. I mean, ultimately, I mean, you, uh, Patagonia, I mean, just amazing location, an hour away, Wilcox, you know, there's a wonderful little wine community kind of coming out of nowhere in Wilcox. Tucson obviously is starting to become known as a small wine community. There's a craft beer community and talk about affluence, you know, Borderlands Brewery. Yeah. You know, taking Mike's uh, doing amazing things. Is, uh, Mike is great over there. I mean, just unbelievable things happening. And, and, I guess, yeah, I could go on and on. So uh, a lot of focus on community businesses, too. Local, grown, family, you know, at least launched. Um, we, we don't quite have the glut of corporate nope. franchise yeah. chain on every corner. It's a good balance right now. Correct. I think we probably could have a, a few more big p players to maybe inject a bit more capital and resources, but that's just one person's opinion. And at the end of the day, you know, I'll let the Sun Corridor and the Southern Arizona Leadership Councils, they'll, they'll dictate that. I'll just keep the windows clean and the stoop sweat <laughs> and the food hot and the drinks cold. That's right. Do Please your do. part. Do your part. <laughs> but you're right. I mean, to, to Dr. Jonathan's fish, uh, love of fishing, we need all size fish in the, in the streams and the lakes. Otherwise the whole yeah. ecosystem nice falls apart. Nice so. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel that, that my role and Jen's role in, in being new residents of the town, we're so drinking the Kool-Aid for us is we're investors. We're investing in your community, yep. um, you know, by settling down, buying a house. We we frequently go out to eat and take part in Tucson nightlife. Um, that's that's how we're going to get into things. We're we're members of almost every nonprofit institution in town. Um, that's that's again one of the ways that we're giving back and showing our interest, and also you know. Finding out who are the players, you know, what what is happening, what's the pulse of the community. And, um, you know, we do that through the Art Museum, through the Botanical Gardens, Tohono Chul, obviously the Desert Museum, um, Public Media, KXCI. You know, we're just we're just big fans of everything local that's happening here. But Go ahead, Jeremy. I was going to say, that's just so important. We talk, this show is Conscious Capitalism, which, you know, is sort of the lens of organizational leaders, what are we doing to espouse these principles? But sure. the conscious consumerism is really where the rubber hits the road. We need to be rewarding the organizations that are doing it right and are you know committed to the long-term success of our community. So everything you just spelled out yeah. is probably more important than the things that we can infuse into a business leader's mind. Absolutely. But let's get out there and, and shop and shop smart. Yep. And it's a real opportunity. I mean, I don't want to dive into the world of politics, but you know, we're coming up on an election. 
with um, the mayor stepping down. And I think if we're wanting to make an impact, I mean, there is no better way. I mean, I'm not a hugely activist, you know, in the political realm, but I am a you know, business owner per se. And for me, that's a big step for us. And, and if we don't have leaders that can actually implement the values of what we all, again, are talking about here, then it's going to be a challenge. But anyways. That's true. Well, actually, that's a great uh, opportunity for us to make a, a quick conscious capitalism plug here. Uh, in April, the 23rd through the 25th is the International Conference, which is being held up in Phoenix. Uh-huh. Um, which is pretty awesome for us to be able to gather people from around the globe to kind of see what's happening in the business community that is Arizona. And uh, so much of the narrative is about the the discourse on the political landscape. We actually have uh, Governor Ducey, and I'm blanking on the name right now, the governor of Sonora, Mexico, are both going to come together and speak how they put together a deal to bring in the big auto assembly facility. I just saw that that newsletter come across uh, talking about that. And I think that speaks exactly to to where your head's at is let's let's solve these problems and let's focus on what's working rather than arguing ad nauseum about what might never work. Let's find (laughs) the common ground and drive forward. It, It frustrates me when we, I mean, there's a place for everything in some levels. And so when we get so caught up in just having just disagreements and and not agreeing on what the best course sometimes you just have to you know step back and think about what the bigger picture is and 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 i'm i mean it's for me the simplicity of hey I, i don't necessarily think big box stores are great but i'm also not here to you know condemn them i think there's a place for everything and and i'm a big believer in taking what you may consider not to be a positive and turning it into a positive, doing good with maybe what we'll call not good, if you will. I guess I don't know. Well, yeah, and, mm-hmm. and a big, bo- you know, in some cases, a, a big box store, if they if they have um, strong values, if they if they're if they're a purpose driven company, if they if they understand the importance of community and stakeholders, they can serve an important role within your community and, you know, help build and grow and support all of the things that we want, that we like, that has that local flair and provide, you know, some decent jobs. So I think there there is a role for, and there are many big companies who do understand, you know, of course, we're going to just name it as conscious capitalism. You can call it a million different things, but that's just the easy way for us to describe it, who understand that doing business in a certain way is not just good for the community, but also is good, you know, for the business longevity as well. And so for the, you know, so a big part of, you know, why we even do this podcast is not just to, you know, recognize the the people that are going in in Tucson, but promoting a way of doing business to get more companies, big and small, to recognize the, the not just the community advantages, but the business advantages. Hmm. Nice to said. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, Jonathan, you know, speaking about, uh, um, you know, community, tell us a little bit more about what birding does for the the community. What are some of the numbers and the economics and everything that, you know, you're bringing by supporting birding? Sure, sure. So I mentioned earlier, there's this this billion dollar level impact that uh, recreational birding and wildlife watching brings to the state of Arizona each year. And a lot of that is concentrated down here in the sort of this tri-county core service area that Tucson Audubon has, you know, in Pima, Cochise, and Santa Cruz counties. 
Um, you know, as you were talking earlier, I was thinking there is this shift going on in conservation across the United States. We have declining license sales for fishing and hunting. And those two things have really funded conservation in this country for a century. Hmm. And so starting to um, you know, work with state agencies, um, biologists, uh, government decision makers, and getting them to recognize that there are the, there's a slew of non-consumptive, is what it's called, non-consumptive activities. And that could be kayaking, it can be mountain biking, and of course, bird watching is involved with that and figuring out, okay, how to engage these folks in a way that helps fund conservation for the next 100 years to make sure that we have public lands, to make sure that, um, you know, lakes are full of fish and the skies are full of birds. And um, I think that there's going to be a, a uh, multiple angle approach to that that involves not only state and federal agencies, but also businesses, corporations, the, the same folks that we've been talking about today um, that uh, are trying to build community and recognize that people in their communities, we want sure. we want access to the out of doors. We want the opportunity to um, go and see and learn more about that family of Harris hawks that's hanging out outside your house. Why is why are there four hawks hunting together in my backyard today? Well, that happens in Tucson, and uh, people deserve the opportunity to you know, appreciate it, learn about it, and um, you know, obviously protect it for the long term. Would yeah, you- take a take a moment, look, notice that they're there, observe them, because it's so easy to let to let them come and go, and you never even stop to notice. It's true. It's true. We 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 started out and started to cut you no, off. Okay. We, we started out this year with a, a very generous gift from a donor who's. Um, extremely interested in marketing. And uh, this donor said, you know, I'd really like you guys to do some bus advertising. And we kind of looked at each other, and my development director and I, and said, well, we don't know much about bus <laughs> advertising. We don't know about its impact. We know who does it. You know, we can make observations. So to, in, to indulge this donor, we're, we're doing some bus advertising. We've got an advertisement on a streetcar. Um, we're underwriting on AZPM and at the loft. And the whole concept is Tucson, meet your birds. So yes, we're, we're borrowing a little bit of messaging there from Tucson, meet yourself. Um, but Tucson, meet your birds has a very simple URL. TucsonBirds.com. That's fantastic. So, so it's uh, you know it's that vermilion flycatcher that's on the fence at the ball field. Yeah. It's the curve-billed thrasher that each morning is going wit wit in your backyard, and of course the Harris hawks that I mentioned earlier, and just giving people a big big bright portal to uh, enter the world of birds and find out a little bit more about what's going on in their backyard. And, and the last thing I'll say about that is we're doing it. Uh, the campaign is bilingual, so yet another challenge. Um, we don't have any. Um, Spanish speakers on our staff, which I view as a problem, a challenge for us to solve. And uh, so we had to scramble a little bit and, uh, you know, talk to folks and get counsel on, okay, is the field guide interpretation of curved build thrasher, is that what we should use on a billboard that drives around town? Or is there a local common name that would be more appropriate? And we we had to sort through that. We almost made a big mistake, but it was a fun process. So we're really inviting people in to understand more about the birds that are out there. And of course, that's now visible with all the branding that's in our community for a thousand other businesses, and it's pretty exciting. I, I, what I was going to say a few moments ago was we all are aligned on many levels, but what we can do a better job of is creating awareness for the folks that may be not as aligned. And for when you told, when you said your donor was into marketing and you were on the 
the buses, I was just like ecstatic. Like, why not create awareness? And if it's a good marketing campaign and if it's thoughtful, which it sounds like it, you are, were very thoughtful in your approach, that impacts. I mean, you may not see the metrics right away, but the point is, it's like, boy, don't don't be the best kept secret in Southern Arizona, yeah. Wilcox, or excuse me, Cochise County. I think that's fantastic. I did have a question though. So why, what, what do you think the reason is for declining licenses or permits for uh, hunting or fishing? Sure. Yeah. I, uh, there, there's just, um, it, it's, uh, probably related to, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking back to myself. So I'm the son of a career pilot. And at the time when I would have been getting my pilot's license, age 16, I was doing a million things, and that was probably in 1994. I shouldn't admit that on the air, but uh, you know, now just think about all of the challenges that kids have yep. uh, in terms of things that are competing for their attention, and that with a more um, urban-focused, urban-centric society yep. nationwide, mm -hmm. um, it's it's causing um, less interest in uh, those those license activities. I that figured. Is that what you attributed to? I wasn't sure if that was stigma. Yeah, I think I think, or gen just... I think generally speaking, that's what it is. I don't think it's stigma. I think there there will always be people who have an animal welfare mindset that competes with the interests of fishing and hunting, and I I personally struggle with that a little bit myself. Um, and then. You know, you're always going to have stigma around gun culture, firearm use, but I, I don't think that those two things are driving it as much as we're a more urban-centric society, and there's just a lot more competing for people's time and attention. We don't make enough time for ourselves to be out in the out of doors, whether that's, um, you know, quail hunting or bird watching or you know, chasing fish up in the the reservoir yeah. lakes outside of Phoenix. Or just being outdoors. I mean, that, being that's, that's what yeah. I, I figured that's what it was. But I was intrigued by that because that's that's a little bit of a, a, a scary statistic when it comes to because you're 100 percent right. Conservation is funded through gun, not gun permits, but hunting permits, fishing permits, and, excise taxes on yeah, firearms absolutely. and, uh, you know, yeah. um, fishing lures and uh, ammunition and things. Those, those that's the yeah. model that we've had for 100 years. And it's worked phenomenally. Yeah. I mean, if you compare us to other countries in the world. Um, you know our public lands and, and access to uh, to natural resources is is unparalleled. Um, you know the thing that strikes me though is just getting outside in Tucson, literally just going into a backyard or a public park. The the biodiversity that you can see on any given day here, see you're and right. hear, if you know what you're listening for, it's it's incredible. Yeah, we don't have to work as hard as you would. I was just I just spent the the weekend in Cincinnati where my my girlfriend's family lives and. Um, you know, I, I saw a dozen species of birds. I was not birding while I was there, um, but I was just listening and watching and got really excited. There was a peregrine falcon right downtown, which we have here in Tucson. You could probably see one from the, the stoop of the Hotel Congress. Um, and, uh, but, but here, you know, I could go out in my backyard and see 30 species in, in a couple of hours while I'm watering the garden. So interesting. It's incredible. Uh, and it's cool that you've made the information accessible with the campaign that you're talking about, because that's a lot of it is awareness, right? Once your eyes have been opened you to, to something, to you can't unsee it. Yeah. Like, now I know. Yeah. Pay attention for that. And, and you know, we, we also have, like with, with birds, um, people who are interested in birds in the United States, it's, it's a fairly homogenous group. You know, it's a... Um, well-educated folks. It's pretty evenly split, male, female, um, very white, and typically 
age 60, 65 and older. You know, it's a retirement activity. And uh, if we are going to, um, you know, really make a shift in conservation and, and engage our communities and our businesses with the ideas of conservation and preservation, um, we, we have to reach more people. And there's a nationwide effort to do that through Audubon. And, and we're really proud to be, uh, you know, just beginning a foray into accessing, um, you know, and, and creating relationships with people outside of our normal constituent base. And uh, that's that's one of the more exciting pieces of my job right now. Well, that's the second time that's been brought up about, you know, the conversation is really easy to have with everyone who thinks the same and, and you know, that's agrees. Right. And you're all just, you know, like kind of like how this conversation feels right now. But the important and, and it. it I want to say it's not important because, of course, I love having these conversations with you know people <laughs> like you. But the the equally or maybe more important conversation is for the people who aren't already aligned. And it's not just important for us for us to help them understand our perspective. It's it's equally important that we are open to understanding you know whatever whatever they're coming from, whatever you know is in their hearts or is in you know a priority for them. And so. You know, just having that dialogue, making sure that we're melding a little bit more, um, you know, I guess it's it's what seems to be missing. Well, and that's, yeah. I think that's where we solve problems, too, is at that intersection of listening and understanding the, uh, you know, the other side, if you will. As you were mentioning, your, your non-consumptive solutions to conservation. Uh, I've got a good friend who um, visits Africa quite often, and he was actually roundabout way involved with some of the engagements with poachers and really getting an understanding, you know, for them, it's feeding their families, right? It's it's economics. We can tell them all day about your, your pilferaging of waves, what might be the last of these species. And it's so wasteful and all these things. And they say, yeah, well, tell that to my child who needs us for food. So it was gaining that understanding that allowed them to say, oh, okay, so this is an economic problem. This isn't a cultural it's issue a or anything else. Issue. So let's look at how we yeah. solve this from an economic perspective. And all of a sudden, the non-consumptive, the opportunity for where people to come witness these beautiful animals and their natural habitat and the tourism that can go with it and all the, the mom-pop businesses that can, you know, create the kayaking tour through the swamp, uh, you know, through the, the through the landscapes. Like, now all of a sudden, we solve two problems at once. How are they going to feed their family and how do we keep conservation of these critical pieces of our environments. Yeah. yeah. And, and a more sustainable way to feed their family because, you know, Correct. again, if, Correct. if the whole thing was protecting an, an, an endangered species, once it's gone, it's it's gone. You know, it, it of course, is it's a conscious capitalism show, so I shouldn't feel too bad about bringing, you know, bringing it back in. But it just makes me think of stakeholders. So stakeholder orientation is one of the tenets of conscious capitalism. And when we're talking about the people who aren't already in a, in agreement with us, um, they still are our stakeholders. And we do need to figure out how to engage them and consider their needs if we're really looking for, you know, holistic community, you know, win, 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 win solutions. So I, I don't know, it just, and, and I will also say that uh, a little, another little plug on Thursday morning, we're doing uh, the first in a business education series where we're collaborating with local first Arizona and the topic will be all about stakeholder orientation and um, through a couple of uh, stories from you know some local leaders but then also leaving with tools and resources to help you integrate the information uh, you know back when you you know sit back in your own chair so um, so come join us on Thursday morning cool 
Very cool. Well, well that's a well-timed plug. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are, are giving all the softball pitches. We appreciate that. <laughs> um, but to that extent, um, Todd, I wanted to ask you, what type of things do you overtly do to enable your team or to encourage your team to be this conscious organization that you are, to be so community-centered? That's a great question. I mean, from day one, we've just at the kind of core value of trying to be equitable with what our compensation packages are to make sure that we're at least recognizing that we're, we're running a business that has to be sustainable, which means profitable. But at the end of the day, that the entry level position is still in need of an equitable pay. We work hard with a lot of our just small perks and employee engagements. We offer a great benefits package. We offer health insurance, but we do a lot of training to this with the staff. I mean, as far as getting involved with the conscious capitalism or sustainability or that kind of mental or, or I guess mode, if you will. I mean, we just, it's a part of our, our, our culture. So quarterly we meet with our team as, as a departmental business, the restaurant or the nightclub, and we talk about hospitality and service, but there's always something about, and you'll appreciate this, Sarah, there's always something about workplace safety. There's always something about environmental and sustainability. So that's again, probably more woven into the fabric of our culture than I probably give it credit for, but we just kind of been that way since 2003 when I came on board and as much as we can to educate our staff, as much as we can to offer our staff just the things that make them feel appreciated. And, you know, we're, we're still a tough business to work for and we push our staff hard and we ask a lot of them. But I think at, at most of the times we're, we're offering them a, a fun environment that they can feel proud to be a part of. Yeah, I'm sure with what you've built, you sort of attract people that are just naturally inclined to you know, yeah, see the, the value in the, what you're doing already, and it is, it's easy for them to help you propagate it. Agreed. I mean, it's nobody really can experience the culture of our business until they're within it. They can obviously see the amazing aspects of the business from the events to the entertainment to the food to the history so they see to sarah's point kind of the outside looking in but then when you come and work apart within this business you'll know quickly that it's in it's ingrained that we're doing our best to treat our staff the best we can with you know from every angle and and again not that health insurance or 401ks or competitive pay is is the end all be all but it's a good starting point and then from there you start working on those kind of soft kind of skills that can allow them to grow in terms of making sure that they can get better as a person personally and professionally yeah and the fact that your your quarterly meetings that there's a spot on the agenda to even have talks about how do we continue to be a sustainable yep spot I and mean, that's it's it's it, it's important because it's almost like muscle memory. You know, certain things are muscle memory, but when you get busy with you know, a business of our our, our size and, and and kind of fluidity, if you're not structured and organized, you can quickly just start working only on what maybe is the forward-facing external guest. But if you if you focus on the internal guest, the staff member, and what really is important to us, it's, I mean, just, I, I mean, if I'm a big believer. If it's not written down, boy, I'm probably not going to remember it, nor probably do it. So... You know, I just got a little, uh, you know, ping in my heart when you're talking about the internal customer. Because, you know, you can attract, you know, 
a lot of people based on your the persona. But that doesn't mean that they have the skills to be there. And they may want to be there. They may have all the intent. Uh, and yet, again, not have the right skills, soft skills, you know, hard skills, whatever they may be. And yet you're very clearly willing to invest in them. So every person comes in with value. You're willing to, you know, step up, invest in them. Obviously, they have to meet you, uh, you know, halfway. But I just, I think it's great because it does, you have to invest in your people. And yeah, those, those compensation, pure, straight compensation is the starting point, but people really want to know that they're valued and putting time in them, putting training in them, putting effort in them, and I will say, making sure that you focus on their safety, <laughs> they, it, they, it makes them feel valued. It, it truly does. I'm, I'm proud. You know, the, our security staff, which is probably 15, 16 people strong. You know, it's a big nightclub at night. I mean, we put them through sexual assault training. We put them through mental illness training, conflict resolution. I mean, sometimes uh, to be quite frank with you, we get to this place where we're so busy that we're like, oh boy, you know, you can do it when you do it, but we don't forget about it. We just make sure that it's never, ever forgotten. And we just squeeze it in whenever we can. And, and, and across the street, even at Maynard's, I mean, we have two sommeliers on staff. We're consistently doing wine training and wine education. That's good for us, but we know that they're not going to be with us, most of sure. them, for their career. So at the end of the day, that's a kind of a win-win investment yep, for us yep. and for them, for sure. So, I mean, it's just, I guess it, I don't I, I don't even track it as much as right. I probably should now, that, but I bet you our HR director, she could be very, Rita could be very uh, quick to answer quickly or, or very thoughtfully the, the, the question you asked, Jeremy. So well, it's just good business yeah. is, is sort of yeah. the, the bumper sticker on our car. So, Jonathan, you and I were connected through Debbie Honan, who's your retail coordinator. Yep. Yep. So if I were to ask Debbie, why is the Tucson Audubon Society a great place to work? What would she tell me? Well, it's a it's a family, family atmosphere. You know, we uh, we all support each other and. Uh, I've been using this quote a lot lately from an economist. I'm, I'm not going to get it correctly, but I think it applies very well to Tucson Audubon and nonprofit organizations in general, probably probably for-profit businesses as well, is that, you know, a transition is just a period between two transitions. And, uh, you know, we, we have, so we're in a transition. <laughs> I'm a relatively new leader for the organization. And, uh, you know, anytime you, you go through those types of changes, um, whether it's a CEO for a big business or, um, you know, executive director for a nonprofit, um, you know, people, people have uncertainty. Um, people need support. They need reassurance. They, they need uh, good communications and clarity about what the next steps are. And uh, I, think, I think in the last uh, nine, 10 months that I've been on board as executive director, we're, we're heading in all of those directions. Um, I keep telling the staff, don't hesitate to over-communicate. Mm -hmm. Copy somebody if you think they have a, uh, you know, just a, a surface layer interest or level of responsibility in a certain message that you're emailing out. You know, it's easy to delete an email message. Um, and uh, don't be afraid to ask. You know, if you have a question about something or a suggestion for that matter, um, please put it out there for us. Let's let's address these things head on and in the open. But I think, I think uh, for Debbie um, in in the shop where it's it's so much more than just a shop. Uh, you know, buying and selling goods. It's our it's our 
it's our point of contact mm -hmm. for a huge percentage of our constituent base. Um, we have a native plant sale going on right now, so a whole different segment of the community is coming in to purchase, um, you know, these drought tolerant native plants that support pollinators and birds. And uh, Debbie, I, I overheard three or four of our phone conversations today uh, because our I was sort of an open format office. You know, she's answering questions about migratory hawks and tubac. <laughs> she's answering questions about membership. She's, you know, directing calls here and there. She's managing volunteers. And, uh, you know, so our, our shop does a lot more than just sell things. But um, I think she would say family atmosphere that she and, and uh, the rest of the staff, myself included, have, have weathered this sort of transition storm. And now we're transitioning uh, into, you know, year 71 of Tucson Audubon Society, where we're doing the strategic planning thing. We're doing a lot of planning in general just to put down... Um, you know, steps that we want to take going forward and how we want to develop the organization. Um, so, yeah, family comes to mind. You know, but I was thinking about what Todd was saying in terms of um, supporting staff, um, you know, nonprofit organizations. You know, we, we have limitations on how much we can pay people. So, you know, we pay 100% benefits and we try to keep that as intact as possible, even in tough budget years like the one that we're in now. Um, I don't have formal training in, in business management, but um, to me, I like the idea of empowering as many people as possible, almost a decentralized sort of management model where um, you know, people are, are um, having a, a great amount of responsibility and driving their programs. And the expectation uh, for me personally is that we're just communicating very at a very high level about how we're doing that. And uh, so I think I'm, I'm seeing employee employees enjoy um, that opportunity to, um, you know, create and guide the direction of their programs, be part of high-level planning efforts and uh, high-level conversations as we move forward. Yeah, when you were talking, the word holocracy just kind of was flashing in my head. Yeah, what's holocracy? So it's it's sort Thanks. of yeah, it's sort of like uh, um, forget the hierarchy. You know, everybody has value. We we get we let you know people contribute. We don't hold people back. We let people take risk. We make it safe to fail, and that way you get you truly get the best out of people, and that's the benefit to us and to the individuals. They know that they are valued, and that people are willing again to to invest in them. That's yeah. great. Yeah. You know, I think professional development is is really key to, and in addition to all of that, uh, making sure that people get training if they want it, they could attend that conference. Hey, you know, this would be really good for my advocacy efforts or my uh, my eco ecological restoration. And, uh, and then soft skills we were talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. I, I assume like customer service would be part of that. Uh, so we... I, I reached out to a couple of people at Mr. Car Wash. I said, "Hey, I've been I've been through your business a couple of times. I like to have a clean car." And uh, I said, <laughs> Me too. I, "I really appreciate I really appreciate how nice of an experience I have when I when I visit your business. Can mm -hmm. you come and talk to our conservation nonprofit organization That's about smart. how you do that?" That's brilliant. And it was great. You know, we we talked about basics from you know, our, our physical presentation to the world, to the way that we talk, and um, that just to have that sort of non-traditional third party come in and tell us how they do it was, was incredible, and it was a lot of fun, too. Well, and you picked the right business, because I'm sure they jumped on it. There was no hesitation, ready to 
support. I mean, they're big community um, supporters and a really great organization. So you, you not only did you ask the right people from they've got customer service down and they've got a whole team of people and they're constantly working on it, but also um, the people who are more than willing to support. Yeah. Yeah, they, they've been impressive. So, so my my history on that, uh, you know, as a junior nonprofit employee in Charleston, South Carolina, in the early two thousands, was the local tire store chain, Gerald's Tires, giving them a shout out across the country. <laughs> they appreciate that. They uh, they came in and did our customer service training at the uh, at this public aquarium where I was working, and elements of that training I have never forgotten. So uh, it was natural for me to reach out to an, a business like Mr. And um, the, the connection is, has gone further than that training day, which I appreciate very much. Um, and they're practically neighbors to us there at the historic Y on University Avenue. So they're just around the corner. There was one thing you said that I, if we have time, I want to explore a little bit further. You were mentioning that you're doing the native uh, species sale. Yeah. And um, one of the tenets of conscious capitalism is purpose beyond profit. So um, we view nonprofits and uh, for profits really all part of the same DNA. We all, if we don't bring in money, we cease to have our operations. We cannot deliver the services that we are today. So uh, on the for profit side, usually it's the purpose dynamic that needs a little bit of uh, intentionality. Mm. On the nonprofit side, the purpose is usually pretty clear. That's why they show up. But how you go about uh, retaining dollars to make sure that you can carry forward your initiatives. That one struck me as being innovative, right? Like that's obviously there's connect the dots and you can see how that works with the birds. But what other things do you encourage your team to kind of explore? You know, the bus wraps is another great example of, you know, how do you expand yeah. the sustainability of your revenue, not just your mission? Yeah. I mean, we, we have to keep diverse revenue streams. Um, we do, we do some payrolling for employees that work with the National Park Service on uh, projects that are specific to our mission. Um, we are also a, a mitigation credit um, uh, recipient, so we can sell mitigation credits on behalf of, of large corporations, and um, so we, we generate funds that way. How does that um, work? Yeah, I'd, I've, I figured that, that was going to come around. <laughs> uh, essentially, um, you know, Company X uh, does a project and there's some environmental impact, so they can, um, you know, sell and purchase credits related to that project, and then we can pick up the credits uh, or, or the revenue from those credits and do pro uh, a restoration project elsewhere. So we have a, a big multi, a couple hundred acre project on the lower Santa Cruz River that we're, where we're restoring a previously disturbed habitat. We've planted over a thousand mesquite trees down there in the last year, in addition to a, a whole slew of other things. And, uh, you know, that's a result of a project where there was environmental um, damage elsewhere, planned environmental damage. So sort of an exchange type of program. And uh, yeah, we're, we're one of the only uh, sort of credit managers in the state of Arizona as that program is in its infancy. And, and, and we do that in partnership with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. It's a pretty... Um, it's a pretty interesting thing that I've inherited, but um, is certainly a way that we generate funds. You know, I just to take it a step, a little step further with native plants too. You know, there are there are dozens of native plant sales happening across Tucson right now, um, both via nonprofit organizations and for-profit entities. And and you know, one of our things is 
we want the plants in the ground. We don't really care who sells them. And right. I think that's what you were getting at. Um, so it's it's nothing for us to put out an announcement of, hey, you can go and get your, um, you know, your your native penstemons or your uh, creosote bush for your front yard um, at any one of these locations. Sure, we'd love you to stop by and talk birds with Tucson Audubon Society, but you can also do that at three or four other places around town. So a lot of sharing. That's great. Thanks for elaborating on that. Sure. <laughs> Uh, we getting tight? Seconds or minutes? Oh, okay. Okay. What else we got? Um, well, I would just, you know, ask, we, you know, we, we talked before we were on air about just how interconnected we all are. And we've talked a bit about, you know, both of your organizations specifically. And, you know, you did bring up Mr. Carwash, who is definitely one of our favorites as well. What are some other examples of good business? Um, that and they could even be nonprofit because nonprofit again are making you know real economic contributions um, to our communities. What are some of your favorite examples of good business in Southern Arizona? Oh boy, John, I'll, I'll defer to you. I mean, I have one idea, but I'll see if he has a, a, well, a better idea. I'll talk, first. I'll talk a little business strategy that that uh, we utilize, and then and then maybe that'll that'll spark some more ideas around the table. But um, you know, we want to impress upon businesses that that they're that this billion dollar impact really does exist. Cause I can throw out a billion dollars and you're like, oh yeah, whatever, bird watchers, how many cups of coffee does that equate? <laughs> um, you know, and, and then that's exactly the question that we wanna help answer. So creating a mechanism, and in the past I've used um, a business card. It just said birders bring business and it allows, if we go out to dinner, it allows us to write down the amount um, that we spent in that business and leave it behind with our check. And that signals to the business, oh, a bird watcher or bird watchers came and, and ate at the Gathering Grounds restaurant in Patagonia um, or had a drink at the Hotel Congress, for that matter. And, uh, you know, kind of gives you an idea of who your clients and your customers are. And um, I'd like to take that a step further to where the businesses actually... Um, you know, sign up to participate in that program and mail us back those cards so that we can start. Um, it's you a know, clever collaboration. The, the totally, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, I like it's very it's very hard copy non-digital, um, but uh, but but I think we can generate some results from. Oh, you that. need to do you need yeah. to turn it into an app where they just scan the card. Oh, that would be great. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, and the other thing that's nice about that is you know not only do you get the information back, but the the purveyors, you know, the business owners will engage more because it's more. I mean, because it's it's in the check you pick it up you're like oh but if you actually do something with it after that yeah. and then you can give the information back to them you know directly to them so they can see you know what were their you know they can see the total dollar as well yeah i like that and, you know we we have a big festival that occurs here in early august 900 registered participants and similar festivals around the country they're generating one to two million dollars in economic activity over the course of a long weekend and i, I believe that our festival has that impact we just don't know yeah right. so creating it's these mechanisms it's really important for i don't us. know it feels right to me yeah, yeah. we've legitimized it here right good, now good. Yeah. I, love it. I love it success put the stamp on it yeah so, you know, I think that probably brings us, you know, pretty close to an end. I definitely want to thank our guests, um, you know, Jonathan Lutz and, and Todd Hanley, and, you know, kind of point out a couple of things that I know I am going to take with me and utilize, you know, Tucson Birds. TucsonBirds.com. TucsonBirds.com. Yep. And then the Agave Festival. When is, when's the next one? It's April 
essentially April 26th through May 5th, if you go to the website, agaveheritagefestival.com. So we have a big event at the Fox Theater on April 26th with some uh, conservationists, some ecologists coming in from Mexico, from the East Coast. It's going to be a really cool event talking about conservation, pollination, the agave plant and the, and the impact on our Sonoran region. So I'm pretty, uh, that's the one I'm pretty excited about. It's on my calendar. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, so we'll see everybody there. And then also everybody will be looking at the TucsonBirds.com. Yeah. Yeah. I have to shout out real quick. I, I'm a, a bird expert. I've had three Ooh. hummingbirds in my uh, um, rosemary, not rosemary tree. Oh gosh, what's my tree? My goodness. Anyways, I've th- three different hummingbirds ever. Maybe it's the same hummingbird three times nested in there and had oh, their cool. little babies. So yeah. cool. Now, now, right now is the season. So everybody be careful when you're trimming your trees for brush yeah. and bulky this week. All the birds are up nesting, including hummingbirds. <laughs> Good point. Uh, I get, yeah, thank you both. This has been Thanks fantastic. Thanks for having us on. I learned so much. No, we really appreciate Great the Great success in your Fun hours. hour. Thanks, yeah. Jeremy. Yeah. Thanks, Sarah. Thank Thanks. you.